Welcome to Best Served, a podcast recognizing unsung hospitality heroes. Join Chef Jensen Cummings as he chops it up with industry leaders about the humans who've impacted their lives and careers. From childhood guides, to ass-kicking mentors, to the team members in the trenches that make it all happen. Help us celebrate these rock stars by sharing our show and nominating your own unsung hospitality heroes. Connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Now here is your host. What's up, everybody? Jensen Cummings here. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. Today's Best Served Podcast 324. We're talking culinary future, think tank style, workplaces worth working, episode 11. We're going to be talking to Jenny Dorsey. And this is something you know from me. I talk about us being counterpunchers, tacticians, staying in the moment, strength, because it allows us to ebb and flow and meet the needs of, of our guests in the restaurant. It also means that we are reactionary, not proactive, not thinking ahead, can't think so often past the next plate. And we really need to start thinking long term. We really need to start thinking about the legacy that we're creating, about the environments that we're creating within the workplace, the impact we're having the environment, all these different topics that you know we talk about a lot. And it's a struggle when we focus so, so much on the food, on what's in front of us. So we're going to think long term. We're going to think future and uh, something so important to me. So I uh, want to bring Jenny in to kind of uh, guide us in this. Jenny, good to see you. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, absolutely. And big shout out to Maria Campbell, One Degree Coaching and Cooks Who Care, who connected us, who also we're now going to be doing some work with and supporting some of their efforts. So I'm excited about that. And we've just this whole show has been built on good people connecting good people. So I'm honored and excited to have you on. Uh, break it down for us a little bit. Give us a little bit of your background trajectory. Let's talk about the work that you're doing. Set the table for us and then we'll get into some uh, some futuring topics. For sure. So hey everyone, I'm Jenny Dorsey. I'm a professional chef, writer, and the founder of a nonprofit community-based think tank called Studio Atal. So in short, we are a community-based think tank think tank in that we um, listen to the community and try to amplify the recommendations of the community and those who are actually impacted by change when creating different types of change recommendations for organizations and policymakers. So for the last year, we've been primarily focused on working with the food media industry, talking about what it means and what it will take to create more equity in the food media industry for those who are often marginalized, who are left out of the conversation, who have been discriminated against uh, implicitly or explicitly throughout the media process. Um, so we put out toolkits on both how to do that on an individual level, and we just released a toolkit on how to do that on a more systemic level within media organizations. So happy to talk more about that. Um, personally, I come from a mix of restaurants, um, consulting, food corporations. So also I'm always very interested in like, how do we move the conversation forward in developing better workplace culture and having better conversations more nuanced conversations around taking care of folks within our industry and creating an industry where not only we can make a living wage and have you know, a sustainable career, but also welcome people and give them like trajectories to progress and you know, feel good about where they work. So, yeah. Jenny, you have me fired up. You pretty much just uh, encapsulated our thesis on why Best Served ex exists. We exist to amplify the worth and work of people who feed their community, right? And the work part is one thing. The worth is so hard. We're so 
there's so much self-doubt, self-loathing. There's inflicted doubt onto us that uh, you're just a cook and all these different things. And so really appreciate that. We also want to challenge the preconceived notions of media. And we talk about that a lot. I'm going to, everybody who follows us knows the, knows the, the, the stories that we tell about how we just, we, we lot, we spun off our axis. We stopped understanding the, the, the meaning of what we're doing. And so that's our whole platform is to introduce people to unsung hospitality heroes. That's what we do on our blog. Like that's, it's so important for us to be able to bring more voices into the culinary narrative and it's not just the anointed that get to speak for 11 million workers, 15 million people that are part of the ecosystem of food, beverage, and hospitality. So I'm, I'm with you all the way. I'm fired up. So the, the challenges that we face currently are that we are so focused on the food sometimes we forget about the people, right? We're, we're in the relationship business. So maybe let's start there. When you're having these conversations with media, when we're trying to figure out how to include more people, when we're trying to figure out how to not just put out another fucking listicle and actually do something that has meaning and depth, what's what's the challenge? It doesn't get as many clicks, doesn't views. How are you bridging that conversation? I think it's important to recognize that, you know, often when we're having these conversations, there's like a uh, a lack of, well, I don't really mean it's not worth calling it a lack, but there's a slight disconnect on what everyone's concerns are. So as we mentioned on the media side, the concerns are a lot of times is with click-through rates, is with SEO analytics, it's about making the keywords that people are searching for, and that media organizations are also not creating those themselves. They're beholden to like what Google is pushing onto them. So there's like, that's their kind of world that they're looking, um, thinking about and looking through. And then for the people who are actually being represented, it's like, you know, for the BIPOC who want to get their foot in the door for food media, oftentimes they don't have the, you know, the the same background. They don't have that like fancy journalism school, you know, they come from different types of backgrounds. Like, so that makes it really hard for them to even land the pitch to be able to have the editor open their um, email. So like there's that whole sort of scenario. And then when it comes to actually like finding the places that you're gonna put on your listicle, for example, the kinds of places that are gonna have websites, the kind of places where you can pick up and call and talk to the hostess and have them give you a blurb about the restaurant. That's like a very specific, it takes a specific kind of capital to have that kind of restaurant. And so we're not really like considering that because a lot of times when you're again under the gun, you have to produce a lot of content in a short period of time and you need to have you know, ready images from that restaurant that, you know, shows their interiors really nicely, right? There's like all these very layers of complications. And I think a lot of times um, when we're having these sort of discussions with an industry, I'm like, how do we fix this? How do we solve this? Is that it's very hard to, to be able to hold everyone's problems together and try to like solve for all of them. Um, so I don't think we've solved it and I don't know if we're like going to solve it anytime soon, but I think working towards that is trying to better understand what everyone's actual challenges are. So one of, for example, one small thing that I, um, we've been talking to an organization, we were writing a white paper about their diversity efforts. Some, something that they mentioned is, for example, in the video world, a lot of times you don't have a lot of women behind the camera. Some that you have women in front of the camera, but you have a lot of, it's almost all men in sort of not only post-production, but actually like on set. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that again. But one of the minor reasons is that a lot of times men tend to own their camera equipment and women don't. And so what happens is 
the person, the production company that might be outsourcing um, or the publication that might be outsourcing to a production company, they're like, oh, we want, you know, here's your rate, send us whoever. And then you obviously choose the person who already has the camera equipment because they have the capital to buy that. So once they noticed that this was a ca the case, um, they have been helping like women, video filmmakers, whatnot, to rent their camera equipment so that they can have more women behind the camera. So that is like such a small little solve, but I get it. I think it takes a lot of time to understand what these like small roadblocks are and be able to address them one by one. Um, and so I think that's the best we can do is like, you really have to sit down and develop a relationship with the people that you want to, whether it's work with them, whether have them on set, whether it's write about them and kind of understand where they're coming from, the small things that are making their lives hard and see how you can like support and help in that way. So I think that I always thought that was like a really nice example. It's it's a minor, relatively minor change, but I think it has had a, a an outsized impact. Yeah, that those those little unlock moments are absolutely the thing that maps to the big changes, right? So you need to have a bottom up and a top down approach. I'm a big fan of that. And look, you and I are connected now and we basically have built this, this media organization that behind the scenes, we're doing a lot of things around workplace worth working and HR and DEII and, and what's happening in, in the foundation of the business, the way we actually build that yet on the media side, what I recognize is like, we need attention for the things that matter. And currently there's no attention for the things that mattered to us and so many others that we just created it. We just said, we're just gonna go and do that. And so there are these little moments, these inklings. I wanna give a shout out to Amanda Faison from Dining Out Magazine. I'm gonna connect the two of you as well, who just today uh, I connected with Sylvia Hernandez of La Catrina Grill who is now gonna be featured in the back page of Dining Out Magazine. And they decided when they launched this new Dining Out Magazine to take the back page and Unsung Hospitality Heroes, that's like that's who we're looking to, to highlight. We've been bringing them to the forefront and introducing Amanda who by her own admission said, I just don't know anybody except the movers and shakers and the people that have the PR agencies behind them. I don't know them. And so was vulnerable in the fact that they were just weren't connected. And I was like, I was like, well, we're working hard to know all of them. So let me introduce you to the people that you may not know that really matter. So that to me is this mind, which is the back page of every other month. The back page is Delfina Serrano, the best dishwasher I ever worked with, gets acknowledged in the pages of a dining magazine. Like that matters. You know how much that matters, Jenny. So like, I'm I'm fascinated in that, and I think I. I give I give a lot of credit and I also call bullshit a lot on now my fellow media people in food because you have to put in the effort like they're not just going to fall out of the sky. They're there. Go into the Facebook group for people looking for jobs in restaurants in Kansas City or in Connecticut like they're out there. You just have to like sometimes get off your pedestal a little bit and like get in there and find the people. So I appreciate that. Sorry, you got me ranting, but like how then now. Uh, I think I understand a little bit what you're trying to do with the media directly. How can we help support something Amanda says? Well, it's really hard to get people in our industry to like nominate other people to get acknowledgement because of that self-doubt and self-loathing. We don't think we deserve accolades because we haven't won a James Beard or any of this. What can we do? How can we support people to say you matter? Your story matters. Your story is the future of culinary. Let's get into that a little bit because I feel like there's there's something there we need to unlock. 
Yeah, I think what's really hard here, and we see it a lot of times when you are doing, you know, DUI work or things that just take long implementation times, is that often we are really attracted to, you know, high turnover uh, in terms of like content. We want fresh content all the time. We want a lot of content. We want flashy content. We want, you know, the things that are like loud and really brazen. When a lot of the work for long-term change is not only really slow because it, you know, our motto is like one per, like one conversation, one person at a time. It really does take that long. It just, it just takes a long time. Yeah. I mean, it's not it's as sexy like, as the latest, like cool food trend news cycle. Right. Get it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, activists have been working um, on civil rights issues for decades, lo longer than that, you know? So like, it just, I think we have to kind of adjust our expectations on how quickly we want things to, how like big and bold and quickly fast we want things to turn around um and part of that is that people do burn out along the way because sometimes you've been working so hard and you don't see any change and it's really hard to like keep motivated so to your point of like nominating people or encouraging them i think a big part of that is a encouraging people to show up and you know publicly explain to others like where they are in that process and the fact that maybe it's, you know, they haven't seen a lot of what they view as progress, however they define that for themselves in the last month, couple months, year even. And just like, I think sharing that vulnerability with folks is really helpful because we're all kind of in it together trying to figure it out. And then the other thing is when you have small wins, I think being more apt to share those as well, because a lot of times right. people can learn from those examples. People can be encouraged by those examples, but because we feel that they're not important enough to share and we don't talk about it, then it feels like, you know, the only time we read about something is when it's like this big new announcement or this big thing with, yeah. instead of realizing of how many like little steps um, it took along the way. So I think in general, just celebrating, highlighting, you know, the, the advocates that are working in our industries and like, encouraging them and also being there for them when they mess up or when they're trying to figure it out because like everyone's kind of like you can be on the journey while you are helping others you know and everyone's kind of fig trying to figure it out so like holding space for the fact that people that you look up to might make mistakes people that are championing good things at good efforts in the industry will also make mistakes and being there to help them with that to work through that with them and also learn from that Two things that, that really struck me from what you're saying. Number one thing is, so our, our blog, Best Served Read, anybody at any level in any facet of this industry has the opportunity to have their, their articles published. We will write any, we'll allow them to write about anything from, you know, a, an indigenous chef saying how the food system has been used as a weapon against indigenous peoples for generations, or uh, Terrell White writing about how he had to consider the name of his newborn son because he potentially didn't want him to have a shortcoming by having a, a black name to put on a resume. And this is a, a, an incredibly powerful story that people in our industry are grappling with. So when I first ask people, like, like I see a post on social media, let's say I was like, that is profound. It's either painful or joyous in some way. I was like, that's an article. You should write an article. They don't believe me. Like they don't believe that somebody would care enough to like put their words out there. And they don't believe that what they said is worthy of any kind of accolade. And it, you're absolutely right. It's like these, these minor miracles or these small tribulations we go through, like those are the accumulation of the human experience. Like that's 
It's what we want to hear and should be hearing. It doesn't have to be you you reinvented uh, a, a dish or or brought a brand new cuisine. Like now you're bringing Laotian cuisine. You should, but it can also be that you're just working through something. I think that's I think that's interesting. Also, experts just need to go away. I, I I've, I've like taken that away from like I am no longer an expert. Experts, I I was and get called that sometimes. You can only be an expert on things that happened in the past. Nobody's an expert on the future. All we're trying to do is create the space, and that's what you're doing. You're creating a space for the future of our industry, and it takes people who are thinkers, who are innovators, who may have been experts in things, yet it has to be about what happens next. Talk me through a little bit of what what the process is. How are you reimagining even a think tank and applying that to what's happening in the culinary community? How can we kind of learn from your approach, your process? Yeah, I mean, I think the studio's approach is it's not that revolutionary. Like, um, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, I think it's really straightforward. More um, little things. <laughs> right. It's really about if we want to tackle a problem, how do we talk to the people who are going to be most affected by the outcome of this issue and ask them what they want how they want the problem to be solved. So, Imagine that, right? <laughs> right. It's it's pretty straightforward. I feel like I don't know why philanthropy and nonprofits refuse to do this. Um, I mean, I have my own theories on why they won't do this, mostly because of saverism and paternalism and how mm -hmm. we use nonprofits to essentially shield rich people's money. But that's maybe a different story for a different day. But yeah. um, we should we, have that story though at some point. Curious <laughs> <laughs> yeah, talk right there. Complex. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what we try to do is if we're going to dive into a problem, then let's talk to the people on the ground who are like dealing with this regularly. So when working with food media, instead of talking to the editor in chiefs or the like main assigning editors, when we first did our first toolkit, um, we talked to freelance producers, freelance writers, you know, photographers, stylists, like people who are regularly working and who are the, you know, on the receiving end of creative briefs, of mm -hmm. assignments that many times maybe they don't feel are equitable or that they're unhappy with the framing of or whatever, it's people who have comparatively less power and ask them like, what are the issues that you're facing? How would you like them to be resolved? And some of the recommendations that were brought forth are just simply things that I don't think, you know, um, other folks who have more power would have necessarily thought of. One of the ones that I always refer to is um, there was a woman who suggested, hey, you know, it would be really helpful if um, people who have more power, editor whom chiefs and the like, will just set aside like a couple 30 minute sessions every month to talk to like emerging writers. And I think if that had brought up in various other settings, a lot of people would be like, oh my God, like that's so much work, how do you do that, right? But like, there are ways to make it work. We're not saying you have to block out your schedule every day, but there are ways to make it work and simply to like surface that as a recommendation has been helpful. And we have had editor in chiefs reach out to us and say, this is something I started doing, you know? And that feels really good because we, I like to believe that we are kind of like bridging this gap. Something that we also do as part of this process when we are listening to people doing interviews um, and then eventually writing a toolkit that has like action plans is hosting something that we uh, recently did called town halls. They're based on like legislative town halls where sure. you have people who are again, comparatively in power versus those who have comparatively less power in the same room in breakout rooms just to talk through specific questions. For example, if a publication has made a big mistake, like what should the publication do? 
we there's always a lot of these conflicts like that. Some people think they should do this. Some people think they should do that. But often these conversations often happen in silos, and the people who are in charge are not actually hearing what you know people on the ground want. And so, how do you create a space where that sort of discussion can be happening live and happening in a respectful way? Um, and it was interestingly enough, like over Zoom and pretty organized and everyone was really on time. So it felt like it feels good to kind of create that space. Um, for our second toolkit that we just released, which is specifically about um, like systematic changes in the food media publications, so within like an organizational-wide change sort of thing, then we started talking to editors from like editor-in-chiefs to more like junior editors and staff members to hear about like what you know what are the issues in your organization and yeah. so again things that were lifted from more junior staff members are things that like probably senior leadership they might have thought of but like hadn't really thought of like how to properly implement one of the things that we always hear is senior leadership tells us let us know if you have a problem anytime our door is open but like the willingness for people to walk through that open door is yeah. very variable, right? Um, so then what does it mean to have more proactive harm mitigation policies at your yeah, at your workplace? Um, so like diving into stuff like that. So um, yeah, our approach is really, how do we just get, give as much detail as possible from the people from the ground up? So then when changes are implemented, it really centers their experiences and what they need. We got a lot of work to do, Jenny. We're <laughs> We're gonna do a lot of things together. Number one, you count on us if ever you're like, hey, will this work in the way that you're applying media, the way that you're looking at your editorial calendar? Like, please, we want it to be continuously challenged. Number two, connections to the people that we need to be of service to that so often we, we talk about the little people like they don't actually exist and we need to like really actually have them be a part of the conversation allow them the opportunity to make decisions for themselves. So um, more connections and, and interactions with we've, we've really found some diamonds in the rough of like people who have never been acknowledged who now are like, wow, you are inspiring me, not the other way around. So I, I think, I think there's a lot there as well from a practical standpoint, somebody's listening to this, they're a junior editor, they're, they're at, they're in journalism school right now. They want to change. They want to shift the landscape of how food media is interacting, what's happening. They're, they're, they're a writer and they work at a restaurant. How do they connect with you? How can they get a part of these town halls? How do they get access to something that sounds great, but uh, can be a challenge to actually know how to interact? What's the best ways for people to, uh, to get connected and get into these rooms that they need to be a part of? Yeah. Um, we are like on, I think, yeah, on, on Instagram, you can sign up for our newsletter, our website, like, please reach out to us. Um, all the events that we host are always open to the public. There's some where we're doing interviews that are like private interviews, but town halls are 100% public. They're free. Um, we encourage everyone to come. That's kind of our our way of making sure that you know people that we don't know people that are outside our immediate spheres of influence are still able to attend and hopefully like be able to share their opinions in front of the group so yeah follow us on online and just uh come to the events please we would Next. love to see you there start just connect there's <laughs> people out there that are trying putting in the work hustling doing the effort obviously like jenny and and everybody you're interacting with uh any specific topics that might be the center of these town halls anything that get people thinking like wait a minute i got some deep thoughts on this topic or i've been affected by this topic give us a couple things that might get people's uh creative juices flowing a little bit what's what's happening what's top of mind what's coming up 
Yeah. So in terms of town halls, we just did one about food media um, and we'll probably do one more before the end of the year. So if you are interested in food media or a consumer of food media, definitely please come uh, look at that. We also have a toolkit like specifically out about food media right now. So please give that a read and let us know your thoughts. In terms of other things that we have coming up, we're starting this new series that we call it Group Huddles. Um, we just thought nice. that was a cute name. But um, it's meant to just make some of the more theoretical concepts that we talk about um, on our website a little bit more tangible by using current events as well as pop culture. So, for example, we talk a lot about scarcity mentality and how, especially how it affects BIPOC in a specific way, how it's, you know, based off this system of just constantly pitting people against one another and building um, competition within our current cycles of capitalism and making sure that people always feel like there's not enough resources. So they're, they always have to gain at the expense of someone else. And I think that most of the time people in media are like, oh, I get that. But do we actually really are, are we really able to name it and when we see it happen in current events around us? So we started a new newsletter that's called Under the Magnifying Glass, and it talks about different types of current events that we've seen recently and kind of connects them through like a, a large topic. So the upcoming one talks about Naomi Osaka and that whole debacle that happened right. with the French Open. She also withdrew from Wimbledon. I saw that. Um, so talking about how that alongside this article from the New York Times about languishing, I think a lot of people saw for a while. Um, and there's also another article about this term called involution and just tying oh. all of these things together. And involution, how I don't know that. What's that? Yeah, yeah. It's a really interesting term. It was coined years ago about agriculture, but now it's being applied to the social sciences. It's essentially the opposite of like what capitalism would tell us as progress. So as you put more labor and more input into something, you actually receive less output instead of more input equal more output. Right. Um, and we think it's like a very nice way to kind of describe this sort of problematic cycle we're kind of in right now, where we are asked to give more and more of ourselves for work, whether that's mental energy, physical energy, time, whatnot. But what we receive is less and less. So for example, if you look at like the minimum wage, in the US. If you're working at the federal minimum wage at full time, you're barely above the poverty line, like because that hasn't been adjusted over time. And yet you're still asked to do more and more. Like the things that we used to ask our workers to do is not the same as what we ask of them now. Now everybody needs to have a social media strategy for like their personal brand, right? Or like they, you know, they need to be like dressed a certain way and there's like professional, like all of this stuff that has been kind of added onto your workload, even though you're not receiving a proper like compensation for it. So talking about how that that feeling has kind of taken over, it's not just the US, this article actually came from um, a Chinese university and it was describing something that happened to a bunch of Chinese students. So I, we thought that was a really interesting way of drawing that through line and then talking about Naomi, where again, Naomi is a tennis player, but she's also asked to do press conferences. She's also asked to do this, that, and the other thing. And she can't take stock of her own mental health because she's being asked to do so much more above and beyond what it takes to be a tennis player. And instead of receiving, you know, she has received plenty of support, but there's also been a lot of naysayers of like, this is what the job entails. There's, this is, she's not living up to what she needs to be doing. And that's not really true, or that's not, that's not like a very helpful or constructive way of thinking about the future of work. 
And then finally, um, pulling that back to this idea of languishing, which um, is this term, God, what was his name, the sociologist uh, coined in just like, you're basically kind of this sense of like helplessness being stuck, you're not you're not going anywhere. And a lot of people were yeah, more or less this. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the pandemic. And what does it mean? Like, we think that really is a result of so many of these other issues happening. So then how do we overcome that? Mm, involution, we're gonna pick up that thread and run with it. It's very much, I think of diminishing return a lot on emotional and physical labor. So very much that theory. So I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of the theory, not the fact that it is our reality at this point. So yeah, I appreciate that. Jenny, amazing conversation. I clearly understand why Maria said the two of us needed to connect. So I'm so happy that that happened. Uh, we'll offline. We have a lot of collaborations and work to do together, I'm sure, into the future. So I'm I'm happy that we got to start here and introduce you and your work to, to our audience. And thank you so much for taking some time. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right, Jenny, have a great rest of your day. We'll uh, we'll talk again soon, all right? Sounds good. All right, everybody, that is it for this episode. Jenny Dorsey, Studio Tao, you, anybody who follows us regularly, just you know how excited I was for this episode and through hearing everything because so many of the thesis points that we make on this on this show and, and on Best Served as a whole, uh, Jenny is really working through. So I appreciate that. So you'll you'll see a lot more from Studio Tao, Jenny, and uh, Best Served collaborating. I am absolutely sure of that. All right. Uh, I hope that this episode uh, wasn't too much emotional labor for you. I hope it brought some value and maybe a, a little bit of levity and a little bit of learning. Definitely connect with Studio Tao and make sure you, town halls, uh, the newsletters, just really good stuff because you matter. Your story matters. And the more we highlight that, the more media and uh, the general population will start to understand the plight, the journey, the joy, and the pain within that. So appreciate you all. And again, Best Served Podcast 324, Jenny Dorsey, Culinary Future, Think Tank Style. I like Workplaces Worth Working, Episode 11, and appreciate you all. Have a great, great rest of your day. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Best Served Podcast. Subscribe to our show and connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Tune in next week to discover more unsung hospitality heroes.